Welcome back to another episode of our special mini-series on the opioid epidemic brought to you by the IFF Health and Safety Division. My name is Sarah Burns, a behavioral health specialist at the IFF. Today's episode is a conversation with Douglas Abernathy from the Indianapolis Fire Department. Doug, tell us about yourself. My name is Douglas Abernathy. I'm the Battalion Chief of Wellness and Support for the Indianapolis Fire Department. I'm a 32-year veteran. I've worked in training, health and safety, and many other divisions on IFD, and um, I'm just glad to be a part of this podcast. Doug, thanks for being with us today. To get us started, what effects have you seen the opioid epidemic have on members in your department? Well, over the years, the opioid epidemic has done nothing but increase. You know, years ago, it was not uncommon that our firefighters would be on apparatus and run two to 3,000 runs a year on a 24, 48-hour shift. Today, because of the increase of the run load, in particularly dealing with the opioid epidemic, we're running sometimes in the neighborhood of 5,000 runs a year, oftentimes repeatedly on the same individuals. And with the current opioid crisis, we've got something on, going on right now kind of called a hot batch, that is opioids laced with fentanyl, we're doing some stations three to four runs a day that are actual overdoses. And it's kind of changed the nature of our EMS over these last few years, um, becoming much more intense, but at the same time, giving us a chance to, to deal with this entity firsthand. Being first responders, you know, we arrive on the scene first and foremost, and um, our skills have increased over the years, both through training and hands-on experience and with the use of Narcan in recent years, we've been much more successful in bringing these people back. Um, we're still dealing with some newer issues. Um, a new phrase that we've been dealing with on IFD, um, we introduced it to our firefighters through some training back about three years ago, is compassion fatigue. And it's an ongoing process that is affecting several of our firefighters. But I will also go so far as to say that we're also experiencing something called compassion satisfaction. It's not necessarily the opposite of fatigue, but some of us are in a sense enjoying the ability to help more than ever before. So as we continue, continue to prepare ourselves with this epidemic, um, we realize now that we have to increase our training and awareness but with it affecting us in such a negative fashion, we have to protect ourselves better. And we've been doing a lot of things different to, um, to make that happen. It sounds like a lot of really strong work. Before we get into what IFD has done about this to take care of the membership, uh, could you tell us more about the emotional toll of you know, going on more and more runs and more runs that are responding to, to people who have overdosed? It's very much an emotional time for us. You see, it's, it actually becomes a form of secondary trauma for us. Though the victim is going through trauma, we see so much of it, it affects us. You know, keep in mind that firefighters and first responders, we're people just like everyone else. And some of us are also dealing with this opioid use or abuse, should I say, personally both ourselves and our family members. 
And when we're out there sinning on the street in such high numbers, it affects us in many ways. You know, sometimes we'll have some emotional outburst out of frustration because we're singing over and over again. Of course, it causes us some substance abuse issues because we actually consider ourselves real people after all. And seeing so much trauma, almost in a secondary fashion, it does affect us. And so we realize we need more help. We're having more of our firefighters experience sadness and even in a sense apathy as it relates to dealing with these numerous opioid runs. Uh, some of us may even have flashbacks to those runs. Now keep in mind, compassion fatigue is not post-traumatic stress as a disorder, but it's, um, it's, a, it, it's something that we have to learn to deal with and separate um, it from post-traumatic stress. And it is very treatable, but if we don't treat it, you know, we can eventually suffer from burnout and, and other trauma that's out there. So we have to work hard at improving our efforts both mentally and physically so that we can both serve the community, but also serve ourselves. And that takes a lot of awareness. It definitely does. So tell us about this training. You mentioned a few years ago uh, that Indianapolis Fire Department started introducing the term compassion fatigue. You know, what does that training look like? What does it cover? Give, me, give us the details. Yeah, um, we knew it was time to, to, to start addressing the emotional feelings of our firefighters and to give them the tools in their toolbox so, so that they can, in a sense, help themselves. So in an effort to do peer support training for all IFD, which is roughly about 1,200 firefighters, we introduced some peer support concepts, the least of which is um, compassion fatigue. And we talked about how compassion fatigue has affected us on the streets so that we can recognize it in, in ourselves. Um, I'll just give you one example we used back then. Um, just like every large jurisdiction, we have a lot of nursing homes in our area. And um, some of our stations are running to nursing homes five and six times a day and night. And um, after a while, that gets old. After a while, it wears on you. You're sitting down for dinner. You're trying to sleep at night. You're doing the same things over and over to the same facilities. And oftentimes on the same people, we find that we get frustrated. We find that we get mad, literally, of the system that puts us on these runs. We get frustrated with dispatch. We get frustrated with the local medical system that doesn't take care of these people beyond us being the first responders. Yeah, we go them and lift them up and help them. And then sure enough, the same day, or maybe the very next day, we're back there to do the same things with these individuals. So it becomes very frustrating to the point that we develop a cynicism, so to speak. We become cynics about it and um, end up saying negative things when we respond to these runs and that negative attitude sometimes um, shows itself on those runs, thereby us giving poor health care, so to speak. 
when our job is to serve and help at all times, that frustration causes us to be less effective. So in this training, we wanted to make sure we made our firefighters aware of compassion fatigue and what they can do to help deal with it. And you know, we did some mindfulness exercises during this training. We talked about meditation, we talked about yoga, we talked about working out, things that our firefighters need to do to help themselves as they start recognizing the signs and symptoms of compassion fatigue ending up on them. You know, one of the things we did is the similarities of post-traumatic stress can sometimes be um, hard for us to distinguish between the two. But we talked about post-traumatic stress as being more like a cup that is getting filled and filled over the years with different events, different tragedies, different traumas. And eventually that cup gets so full that these traumas, these experiences spill over into our personal lives and cause us that, 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 that extra trauma, that disorder to the point that it's debilitating. Um, in comparison to our compassion fatigue, where we may just not want to go to work or we just don't want to run on those runs. You know, we have firefighters leaving some of the busier stations, seeking out slower stations just to address their compassion issues. And eventually, with some counseling um, through our EAP, which is very active, through, through um, actually training to be better and more effective at dealing with our people from an EMS standpoint on the street, we find that we can oftentimes come out of the fatigue model and develop more of a compassion satisfaction model, which, um, which is what we need to have out there when we go to work. We want to go to work with a smile on our face. We want to help with um, true love and compassion. And then when we leave the scene, we want to be smiling, feeling like we did something positive. And so working toward compassion satisfaction is our goal in everything we do. And we find that almost on an annual basis, we have to retouch these issues, you know, in the fire service or public safety as a whole. Um, we can show you trainings that we've done in everything from hazmat, EMS, and suppression training. And we can stack those certificates up a foot high. But when we talk about our own behavioral health, you know, we can't fill up a small folder with information that we've done to help ourselves, to train ourselves. And we're trying to make a turn here. We're trying to add more tools to our toolbox, do more educational training on behavioral health and things we can do to improve ourselves. And we've done that through peer support training. Um, on IFD, you know, my staff consists of myself and Captain Brandon Dryman, who are um, currently working out of headquarters and staff there. But we also have nine peer support specialists who have been trained to deal with issues as it relates to our behavioral health out there on the streets, who work on the streets with our firefighters on a daily basis. And we utilize them to approach our firefighters out there when we find that they've been dealing with some pretty rough runs lately, um, a lot of fatalities um, after times like we've got right now where we've got all of these um, people dying from 
opioid overdoses simultaneously because of that increase of fentanyl. Sometimes we got firefighters running on dozens of opioid runs a week. We've got to touch base with those guys. Uh, we make a presence in the firehouse, letting them know the tools available to them, letting them know that they have counseling, letting them know that they need to talk to each other, letting them know that by increasing their education and awareness and being more effective at saving lives, they can in a sense save themselves also in an emotional standpoint. So how can members who are going on a lot of these runs maintain compassion for their patients? That's very good to ask that question. And um, one of the things we've learned, and I've spoke to a lot of our medics out there on the street, and, um, and they may be of a little different mindset, but when medics are trained to a higher level of EMS than the majority of us who are trained as EMT, EMTs, um, they're trained to understand that this opioid issue, not unlike alcohol and other things, is actually a disease. Maybe even thinking about it as compared to diabetes or obesity being diseases, that these people are in need of help. And not that they're the stereotypical, let's say, I'm gonna use the word junkie on the street or or, or the prostitutes or the drug dealers. It's not as simple as categorizing them or stereotyping them. We have to understand that they're oftentimes people just like us who have been caught up into this disease to the point that it's debilitating to them. And so when we go to help them, we have to do it being aware that our compassion is, is a, as a powerful a tool as Narcan as when it comes to helping people, how we treat them on the streets can make a difference. For example, one of the trainings we also participated here in the state of Indiana, um, state fire marshal's office brought some training to all of us that actually brought in some of the people on the street who have been, one in particular, who had overdosed 10 times and 10 times he had some of the same people from the same firehouse respond on this guy. And when those firefighters were in there seeing that guy in the room and the guy was actually sober for the first time in many years, they were able to see the positive aspects of their labors despite what might've been negative at the beginning to actually witness a success story of where our intervention repeatedly over and over again finally made a difference. So we have to make sure we take the time to find those success stories out there and not linger in the fact that people are repeat offenders, but we can actually make a difference in someone's life. We can not only save them for that day when we bring them back to consciousness, but we can create a new passion in them to live a better life, to be more effective in our culture and our society. And, and, and that compassion becomes satisfactory for us. It can put a smile on our face when we see the effects have made a difference to the people out there on the street. So we, we are trying to focus more on the people than on the addiction. We're trying to focus on the cure 
versus the substance abuse. We're trying to focus on making a system that is here for the public, which we have been, we've been sworn to serve them at the highest level. Wouldn't it be good if we really appreciated what we do at the highest level? And sometimes the best way to do that is to actually look in the faces of those people we're actually helping and understand who they really are because sometimes they're us. Sometimes they are our family members. And we have to remember that when we're out there responding time and time again. Doug, those are really, really powerful messages that you're sharing here. The idea that, you know, we shouldn't be passing judgment on people who are addicted to opioids, even if we're running on them multiple times, because they, that could be us, that could be our family members. Also, the idea that while we focus training in the fire service on all these other issues that are important, like you mentioned, you know, EMS, hazmat, fire suppression, that we need to be spending an equal, if not greater amount of time training in behavioral health issues and taking care of our own so that we can continue to do the job. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing your expertise with us. It's good to know that that message is getting across to others and that you're gonna be able to share it with the rest of our community. It's, um, it's always learning for us. You know, every time I speak on this, I learn more. And, and I learn from the sharing. And in a sense, I receive at the same time, you know, you brought it right back to me what I said. I'm glad the point is getting across and we're able to share with everyone out there. This is good stuff. And we have to keep the conversation going. We can't stop today. We have to get back to the message again and again, just to make sure we're preparing ourselves to deal with this epidemic moving forward. Thanks again, Sarah, for this opportunity to help others. Thanks, Doug. I think you're 100% right. Oftentimes, we bring in a one-time training and we say, great, we checked the box, we solved the problem, let's move on to something else. Where in reality, you hit the nail on the head. We've got to repeat the message, refresh the training over and over and over again. And that's not a failure, that's a success. We just have to keep these issues at the front of the mind for everybody in our departments and our locals across our two countries. Absolutely. We're only as good as the message we deliver. And we gotta keep delivering this positive message. We can't let anything stop us. Thanks again. To access the other videos and podcasts in this series, visit opioidepidemic.iff.org. Content was supported by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences of the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Energy under award number UH4ES009759.